Brothers and sisters, as you're getting seated, let me invite you to pull out your Bible, or if you don't have your Bible, use the Pew Bible. It's in the rack in front of you. Open it up and turn to John 16. As you know, we're preaching through the Gospel of John during Lent, and of course, there's more of John than what we can cover in just six weeks. So we're going to take some highlights, and in the meantime, you're invited, you're challenged to read along with us in the in-between verses and chapters. And so I hope you would follow along with us as we read the Gospel of John together. The Lenten devotions are available on our Timberlake app on your smartphone. Just go to the App Store, download Timberlake app, search Timberlake UMC. You can find it there. The devotions will be there on the app for you along with audio messages and calendar and other things like that. If you uh, are needing a paper copy, you can also find that out in the hall. So the devotions for this week are in the hall, and I hope you'll read along with us as we go through this gospel together. So for today, we're in John chapter 16, and we're going to read verses 1 through 3 and then 20 through 22. So verses 1 through 3 and then 20 through 22. Listen for what Jesus said to his disciples. I have said these things to you to keep you from stumbling. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, an hour is coming when those who kill you will think that by doing so, they are offering worship to God. And they will do this because they have not known the Father or me. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will have pain, but your pain will turn into joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when her child is born, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy of having brought a human being into the world. So you have pain now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no no one will take your joy from you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I want to invite you to use your imagination this morning to imagine that you are a fisherman or a fisherwoman, and you're good at it. You, you catch fish and you sell fish for a living, not just for your livelihood, but also for your spouse and your children. You run the family business, and you're good at it. You're not going to make a million dollars, but you make a comfortable living. And then one day, as you're out there doing your fishing thing, along comes this rabbi, and he invites you to follow him. He invites you to leave your nets and to follow him instead. And I want you to realize that's a normal thing. In your community, in the time and place in which you live, that is a normal thing that happens all the time and all around in your community. There are rabbis who have a school of students who follow them around, and they hang on the rabbi's every word to soak in all of the teaching. That part is normal. What's weird is you're not a theology student. You're a fisherman. And yet this rabbi invites you to come and to follow him, to leave everything behind. And so you take just a moment to ponder it and maybe talk to your parents and against their better judgment, you say yes. And it was the best decision you ever made in your whole life because this rabbi, he shows you things that you've never seen before and he tells you things you've never heard before and you realize your life has new meaning. 
you realize your life has new purpose, and it's as if you've been given this gift, and you're so excited to have received the gift, you cannot wait to be able to share it with every person in your community, and every person in the whole world. Well, this goes on for three years. For three years, you you hear your rabbi's teaching, and you see his miracles, and you see the ways that he turns people's lives upside down with the goodness of God, and then one night, you're gathered with your rabbi, and he's teaching again, and you're listening, and he says to you, I'm going to die. He says to you, I'm going to die, I'm going away from here, and he promises you that you'll see him again, but that part is not very clear. You want to trust him, but you're not sure, but what is clear is that he's going away. He's going away, and he's leaving you in charge, and he has high expectations you. In fact, he expects you're going to do even greater things than what he did. That's what he tells you. I wonder what goes through your head in a moment like that. What, what do we say? What do we do? Friends, this is bad news. When the rabbi, the teacher whom we love, tells us that he's going to die. And the question is, how do we respond? This is the exact situation in which the original 12 disciples found themselves. They had gathered at the table for dinner, and they ate bread, and he said, this bread is my body, and they drank wine, and he said, this wine is my blood, and this is a sign of the new covenant, the new relationship that you can have with God the Father through me. And when you eat it and drink it, you have life in my name. And they thought, well, that's weird. He's never said that before, but, but okay. But then he did something even more strange. He got up from the table and he began to wash their feet. And they knew that was out of order because he was the teacher and they were the students. If anything, they should have been washing his feet, but instead he was washing theirs. And then he began to explain and interpret and teach them. And so they began to understand, and yet the more they understood, the less they really wanted to hear what he had to say because it was bad news. Jesus said to them, little children, I am with you only a little longer. He said to them, I go and prepare a place for you. He said to them, I am going to the Father. He said to them, I have said these things to you while I am still with you. Over and over, he told them he was going to die. He told them he was going away. And how do we respond to this? How do we usually respond to bad news? You ever thought about that? How do you respond to bad news when it happens in your life, when it comes to you unexpectedly, life-changing as it is? How do you respond? Those people who have observed and studied human behavior have learned that there are a few characteristic, predictable ways that we as human beings respond to bad news. In the 1960s, a Swiss psychiatrist named Elizabeth Kubler-Ross made groundbreaking contributions to our understanding of how humans deal with and live with grief and loss. Through her work with terminally ill patients, Dr. Kubler-Ross suggested that our human response to bad news, uh, that the way we grieve can be grouped into one of several general categories, and she called them denial, anger, bargaining, and depression. 
Now, this is not a clearly defined four-step process where you, you do one and then you move on to the next. It's a general description of some of the ways that we grieve, some of the ways that we experience loss in our lives. And it's interesting, when you read the story of the 12 disciples, as they heard this news from Jesus, we see them experiencing each of these human reactions to the news that they were hearing. And so some of them denied it. Peter, he took Jesus aside when Jesus told him, Peter, I have to die. He took Jesus aside and he rebuked him and he said, God forbid it. This will never happen to you. Can you imagine if Peter was right, by the way? Sometimes the disciples got angry. Again, Peter, when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus in the garden on Thursday night, Peter took out his sword and with violence and with anger, he cut off the ear of the high priest's slave, which, by the way, Jesus healed and put back on for him. Some of the disciples tried bargaining. Philip said to Jesus, uh, just show us the Father and then we'll be satisfied. You know, if you just do this, for us, then, then we'll do this for you, Jesus. Sometimes they got sad or they got depressed. Jesus pointed out to them, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression. There's another one that I'd like to add. This is not from Dr. Kubler-Ross. This is just, this is from Pastor Brad, and that is awfulization. How many of you have heard of awfulization? It's a real word, I promise, even though when I typed it into Microsoft Word this week on Monday, it had that little red squiggly line underneath that was like, this is not a word. It's a real word, I promise. And what it means is this idea that we assume the worst. We figure something awful will happen. When we hear a little bit of bad news, we figure it's going to be the worst news ever. And we do it in, in all kinds of scenarios and all kinds of things in our life. We do it with politics. Right? We say, if, if this candidate is not elected, you know, our country is doomed. So if this candidate is elected, you know, I'm, I'm moving to Canada. Did anybody actually move to Canada? I think, I think most people stayed home. Okay. We do it with sports, right? I picked UVA to go all the way in the NCAA tournament, and, you know, and, they, and they broke our hearts. And uh, I, I feel terrible, by the way, for these boys. Someone thought I was being insincere when I said that at the 945 service. I really do. I feel awful. These guys work so hard, and I'm not a particular UVA fan, but I, I saw the disappointment in their eyes. And can I, can I just say the coach, Tony Bennett, is a class act all the way, the way he handled that with grace and with maturity for these boys. So anyway, hats off to them. But, but you know, you, that experience, you experience that and you say, oh, my gosh, you know, my life is over. This is terrible. This is the worst possible thing that could have happened. Do you do that? You, maybe you don't do that. It's just me, probably. I, you're so much better than me at this. I know it. I'm hypersensitive to the most trivial things. When I was a kid, I was riding the bus home from school one afternoon, and some of the older kids convinced me that the bus driver had forgotten my stop. And I began to panic, and I began to imagine my new life without my parents and my siblings. I'd be, I'd be living under a bridge, you know, eating roots and berries just to survive. I, I come by it honestly, though. Uh, I think I get it from my parents. A, a different time, I was riding in the car with my parents, and I was in the back seat. They were in the front seat, and I pointed and said, you see that, that truck in front of us? They said, yeah. I said, Mom and Dad, that's a, that's a Ford truck. And they said, well, how do you know that? I said, well, I can read it on the tailgate. It says Ford. 
And I was too young to be reading. I was way too young to be reading at that point. And my, my parents' immediate thought when I said that, they told me later, they said immediately they thought, oh, no, we have a genius child. He can read at this young, young age. You see, they had just had a conversation with some other parents who really did have a genius for a child, except the child was miserable because he was like sort of too smart for his own good and had no friends, right? And so they're imagining this scenario for their son. And they asked me again, Brad, how do you know that it's a Ford? I said, it says right there on the tailgate, D-R-O-F, Ford. <laughs> and they were, they were so relieved that their child was not that smart, actually, after all. But we do this, don't we? We, we awfulize. We imagine the worst possible scenario when, when some difficult thing, some unexpected thing happens in our lives, or maybe we deny it, or maybe we get angry, or maybe we bargain, or maybe we feel depressed, and, and there we are, stuck in fear. We're paralyzed. We're demoralized. And when you dig into the scriptures and you look at John 13 and 14 and 15, the story of the disciples is exactly that. They could not get past this idea that Jesus, the one they had come to love so deeply, would have to die. They didn't want to believe it. They, they thought this was the worst possible news. And, and to try to help them understand, Jesus keeps on teaching. He, Jesus is always teaching the people who are around him, showing them something new. And so as you read in the 13th and 14th and 15th chapters of John, you, that Jesus is telling about his death. And we come now, this morning, to John chapter 16 is where we are today. And Jesus begins with this contextualizing comment. He's sort of making a summary. He's saying, here's why I'm telling you these things, because for three chapters he's been predicting his death, and then he says in verse 1 of chapter 16, I have said these things to you to keep you from stumbling. And I don't know about you, but if I'm the disciples, I'm thinking, really? To keep me from stumbling? Because it feels like you're causing us to stumble. Jesus, you're telling us things that we don't want to hear. How can we possibly believe in what you're saying? We don't want this to happen to you. This is the worst news ever. And, and then it seems like Jesus proves them right because in the very next verse, Jesus begins to tell them about the bad stuff that's going to happen to them. Yeah, bad stuff is happening to him, but bad things are now going to happen to his disciples. And he said, they will put you out of the synagogues. Well, that's not good. That's bad. We're going to be ostracized from our community. We're going to be kicked out of this place where we have called home all these years. It's not just our religion. This is, this is our community. And you're saying we're going to get kicked out. And Jesus says, indeed, an hour is coming when those who kill you will think that by doing so they are offering worship to God. The rest of verse 2 says this, Indeed, an hour is coming when those who kill you will think that by doing so they are offering worship to God. Jesus is saying you are going to have to die, literally, for this faith because you are one of mine. And history tells us that that's what happened. Most of the disciples were killed because of their faith. And not only most of those original 12, but many of the men and women and children over the history of the church have died. And we have a name for those people. We call them martyrs. They're martyrs. They died because of their faith. And Jesus said, you know, if that's not bad enough, you need to understand that when people do this, they're going to think they're doing it as a favor to God. 
That's how twisted we can get religion. That's how much we can mess this thing up, is we're doing something terrible, and we're doing it in the name of God, thinking we're doing something good, when in fact it is the opposite of what God would have. So how are the disciples supposed to respond to that? How would we respond to this terrible, awful news? There's one more stage of the Kubler-Ross paradigm. Uh, this stage I didn't mention yet, and it's perhaps the hardest one to realize you know, because, you know, it's, it's easy to respond to bad news with denial or with anger or with bargaining or with depression or with awfulization. That comes pretty naturally, right? What doesn't come so naturally is acceptance. Acceptance. Acceptance means we, we quit fighting it and we quit resisting and, and we quit worrying about it. And when it comes to bad news, we, we accept the way things are. Friends, I want to tell you today, acceptance is the way to peace. Acceptance is the way to peace through Jesus Christ. There's a prayer that I love so very much where we ask God to help us with these things. It's called the serenity prayer. Maybe you've heard of it before. It goes like this. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Wow. Can you imagine how different your life would be if that was your goal? Can you imagine how different your life would be if you prayed that prayer earnestly every day and asked God to help you with these things? Friends, acceptance is the pathway to peace. Now, Here's how we usually pray. God, please make that person be nicer to me. God, would you please make my children behave better, especially in public? God, God, would, would you please improve my work situation? You know, my, my boss is such a jerk. That's the Pastor Matt prayer, by the way. <laughs> Just kidding. kidding. God, God, would you change my wife? God, would you change my husband, right? You know, he drives me crazy. If you would just make him be act, act different. God, would you make it so people I care about never die? And you see, we so often, we ask God to change our circumstances. We ask God to change the other people who are in our lives. I want to suggest to you, though, today, brothers and sisters, that the pathway to peace is actually accepting those things that are beyond our control. And the power of this prayer is that it asks God not to change our circumstances, or to change other people. It asks God to change us. We ask God to change us. See, the invitation today is to let Jesus be your Lord and to trust him. The invitation from Jesus is to trust him. And as we endure suffering in this life and as we, we struggle to make it just from one day to the next, and as we shrink before the mystery of death, we're invited to trust Jesus. Friends, I know that some of you come this morning with heavy hearts. I know that some of you come, you feel weighed down. It might be emotional or it might be spiritual, but it feels physical, and it just weighs down on you. And each person in this room, myself included, we come with something that we're saying, God, wow, I don't know if I can keep going with this thing. 
I wonder if you would lay it down at the foot of the cross. I wonder if you would trust Jesus with it, if you would hand it over to him. You see, Jesus is saying, yes, it's awful. I want to acknowledge it's terrible. Jesus knows how bad it is. But he's saying, if you would trust me, I can help you walk through this season of your life. If you would trust me, I can carry it with you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I want you to look at his promise to his disciples. Later in the same chapter, chapter 16, Jesus said in verse 33, I have said these things to you so that in me you may have peace. Notice where the peace comes from, my friends. It doesn't come out there in the world, and it doesn't come from in here or anything that I can create or do. It comes only from Jesus. In me you may have peace. In the world you face persecution. But take courage. I have conquered the world. See, the gift of Jesus Christ that we can only receive if we are willing to trust him is the gift of peace. The gift of peace. This is the gift in which Jesus can take something bad in your life and transform it into something good. Think for a second about all the, all the difficult things we experience that God somehow makes good for us. You know, maybe you had a child when you were young or unprepared to have children, and you thought to yourself, oh man, my life is over. I, I, I don't know what to do. I'm too young to have this baby. And then the child grows, and you realize, oh, this is the most incredible blessing I've ever been given. And thank you, God, for this child. Or maybe you got laid off from your job and you weren't sure how you're going to pay the bills. You weren't sure how you're going to make ends meet, but God found a way, God made a way for you. And then as you came through that, you discovered God had something even better for you than what you had previously had. Or maybe you had to move to a new town and you were sad to leave all your friends and familiar things. But when you got to the new place, you realized God was going before you and God made a home for you in the new place. And it was, it's just as good. Maybe actually it's better than what I had before. And I would never have chosen this, but God brought me here and gave this to me. Brothers and sisters, never forget God's specialty is taking something bad and making it good. That is the story of redemption. That is the story of the cross. God takes the worst possible thing that could happen to his son and transforms it into the best possible thing for you and for me. Never forget, only by the cross of Jesus are we forgiven of our sin. Only by the cross of Jesus are we reconciled to God the Father. Only by the cross of Jesus can our relationships with each other be mended. Only by the cross of Jesus can our bodies be healed. Friends, his loss is our gain. His death is our life. His bad news is our good news. Remember the words of Jesus. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. And they did. The crowd cheered for Jesus' crucifixion. They said, give us, give us Jesus. We want him to be crucified. Release Barabbas instead, but crucify Jesus. And on Good Friday, the sky was dark, and life seemed bleak, and the future seemed impossible. For the disciples of Jesus. It looked as if sin had won the day. It looked as if evil had conquered. And then Jesus continued. You will grieve. 
but your grief will turn to joy. You will grieve, but this is the promise, brothers and sisters. Your grief will turn to joy. And then Jesus compared what his disciples will experience to a woman having a baby. And Jesus taught them, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away. The hardships we face are kind of like a woman giving birth, and we need to acknowledge that the pain is real, that our suffering is real. It is intense, and it is life-changing, and there are days when it feels like it's never, ever going to get better. But this is the promise from Jesus Christ, that on the other side of suffering, on the other side of pain, on the other side of hardship, there is new life. There is new life in the name of Jesus. God can transform our anguish into joy. God can take our suffering and turn it into something good. And so on Friday, friends, the world is dark, and death is real, and pain is real. Friday is so very difficult, but Sunday's coming. 